I suppose we can get started uh, just a few minutes prior. Um, um, you'll see uh, on your sheet there, there's a number of blanks in there. A lot of those, if I do what I intend to do, will be covered um, throughout the first half-ish of the hour. I want to allot some time um, for discussing some, some issues that are related there. Um, and hopefully have some dialogue with you all uh, about certain things. And if we, even if we have extra time, I may demonstrate something I find personally beneficial um, related to all of this. Um, but if we're going to examine um, rightly responding to God and his revelation, um, I think there's two things that we need to address to get us back into the context of it. And the first would be um, the historical biblical context in which we exist. So, um, so firstly, our like worship encounters, as well I'll call them, this is borrowing language from a guy I'll quote later, um, whether we're gathered like we are now or scattered, they exist in the context of God's redemptive plan. So we are currently in the midst of his redemptive plan. And in this plan, he is gathering people from all tribes, tongues, and nations to himself. Um, and since the time of Abraham, he's been doing this. God is gathering uh, people. Uh, he, in his dealings with Israel, he freed them from slavery to become a holy nation um, that had an exclusive relationship with him. Um, and this relationship would be shaped by f further revelation from him, and they developed from that a formal pattern of worship that uh, he prescribed and had designed to spur them to faithfulness and obedience to him in every aspect of their lives. However, we know that that didn't occur uh, when Israel proved that they were unfaithful and idolatrous, um, God judged them by scattering them among the nations. Um, he, however, uh, after doing so, he still didn't leave them without hope that they would never return. Um, he revealed through the prophets that uh, he would restore them and gather people from all nations to share in his restoration. Um, so we see this fulfilled uh, most uh, sharply in the person and work of Jesus Christ, um, bringing in the new covenant and opening uh, the way for the Gentiles as well, which would be us, because I doubt there are many ethnic Jews in the building um, to whom the oracles of God were originally given. Um, but uh, with that and through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are free from sin and death. And now the ministry of the Word and the Spirit, um, after Christ had ascended, continues gathering the nations to God. Um, and so if we were to apply and think about um, our worship gatherings on a weekly basis, um, we are doing so because of God, uh, we're doing so in God, and we should have an anticipatory um, aspect of the gathering that's going to occur in the new creation. Um, and 
I'll, uh, the second point I really want to, to stress, and I'm sure Jacob would be uh, pleased to hear, is that when we gather, we're gathering for worship, and the only acceptable worship is in Christ. So God makes worship that is acceptable to him possible on our behalf through the work of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So and the terminology that's uh, in regard to worship in the New Testament to describe Christ's work and detail, uh, it details how we should also respond to the work. Um, he's fulfilled and replaced the former pattern given to the, the Israelites. And so now all homage, all reverence, service, they are to be expressed to the Father through the Son as our mediator. And so too with the Spirit, he replaces the Mosaic law with the law of the Spirit. Um, this is the pattern throughout Scripture. Um, so the pattern, uh, I want to say this right, uh, the quote there from uh, David Peterson, is, the pattern throughout Scripture of worship that is acceptable then is an engagement with God on the terms he proposes and in the way he alone makes possible. So those are the two things we need to start with when talking about these issues of responding to God's revelation. I'm going to blur the lines quite a bit between um, how we ought to do this on a personal level um, and a corporate level. Um, And I'm going to say a a fair bit about um, some of the stuff in the corporate level, hopefully without getting too uh, down in the depths because I don't think that should be the purpose of the, the entirety of this evening. All right, so if I've, let's see how good a teacher I am. I've used two terms in the past, right, to describe um, two things that, uh, in which the conversation of worship happens. Does anyone recall what those two terms are? A little R&R. Yeah, it's a little R&R, yeah. Do you want to say them then? Just give hands. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. Can you give the last two blanks on the David Peterson? Yes, yes. Yeah. So the last two would be uh, he alone makes possible. Yeah. Okay, now say your question again. Yeah, okay, yeah. So <laughs> I've said two terms a lot to describe the act of worship. We have already said them tonight a few times. But... Uh, what are the two R words that I use to describe this conversation? I'll give you like 10 more seconds and then I'll just throw it to Jacob, I guess. It's one of them like revelation? Yes, that's the first one. Responding. Responding. Okay, and response. So the revelation and response. So if you, uh, I really like the article that I sent beforehand. If you, if you went there and read it, what I did was, they have an audio recording, that's a transcript of a blurb that David Platt recorded. He says it over and over and over again um, in that. Um, But you see this constantly in Scripture that God reveals things to men and they respond. And it is in that interaction that worship occurs. Um, It's not always worship. Sometimes God is hardening people and all of this. But uh, I'm going to assume, uh, for, for our sake, that everyone here is believing and that in our interactions, 
he will produce worship in us um, more often than not. <laughs> so, um, so we worship God by listening then to him in his word and by responding to the work of Christ as directed by the gospel. And we remind ourselves of his story, uh, which culminates in the gospel message. We recount past stories of God found in scripture because they're all God-breathed, all profitable. We recount past stories of God in our own lives through giving testimony of what God has done. And we continually see his work in our lives um, at the present. And uh, in this endeavor, the Spirit will enable us, he'll give us wisdom um, in building up of the church um, through uh, biblically driven reading, um, singing, reflection, prayer, uh, praise, taking the Lord's Supper, um, administering baptism. Um, and all of these together will, over time and in different ways, coalesce and uh, I think a good analogy might be like looking through a kaleidoscope that will confront us with um, God's character and his will. So all of these things are working together to confront us with those things. And being confronted with God's character and will in turn sets the stage for us to submit to and, and serve him rightly in every aspect of our lives. And... Uh, uh, I'll take a, a brief detour. Um, how I view what things ought to be done in corporate worship, I think, is guided by um, a few different principles, but the one I have here is maybe the, the, the final one, the last one in the chain. After, um, is it glorifying to God? Is it consistent with his, with his word? All of that would be, does it edify the gathered church? Because I believe that there are things that are consistent with God's word. There are things that could be glorifying to God on a, in an individual's uh, worship times that would not be edifying to the church. Um, rather than get into what those are, I would say that, for me, that would be the ultimate dividing line if we are evaluating all things, all manner of expressions, um, all types of communication that we could do, whatever will most edify the gathered church that's in our context and at the time that we are, that's what we ought to do. Um, but more broadly, um, uh, this this should then we should then cater uh, all the details of our services then to what is most edifying to the church. And now there will be um, some gray areas in there um, at different times. That will mean different things. And uh, in trying to do this, I think perfection won't exist um, just because we have to make decisions and uh, from a leadership perspective, but also from a recipient perspective. I'm not always ready to be edified by what I ought to be um, as a recipient. But either way, um, if I have to evaluate something in retrospect um, that I didn't uh, get the full benefit from, um, I need to ask myself, was it meant for the building for uh, the building up of me, spurring on me to love and good works? And if I can say honestly so, then I can just repent and continue moving on. But uh, that aside, this is uh, in trying to build the church, um, 
which began after the finished work of Christ and uh, leads through the spread of the gospel um, by the power of the Spirit in the book of Acts. Um, the foundational thing that, uh, the, yeah, the foundational truths, I think, that will begin to vet things that are edifying will begin with the apostolic teaching. So at minimum, things that will edify uh, all believers should be the teaching of the apostles. Um, that is the foundation for our edification and our maturation as a church. Um, so some of the other um, aesthetic things can be different at different times. However, if this is present, then we must receive it for what it is. Um, at least uh, a, an attempted faithful work um, in conjunction with the apostolic teaching. And so uh, I think this is probably why Paul's so adamant about the work of the word for equipping the church unto service that builds up. Um, and so um, the edification of the church, seeking to edify the body, um, uh, will have in mind uh, God's larger purpose for his people. So we're seeking to build up, be consistent with his work of gathering people and making them more like Christ. And... Uh, um, this will directly affect how, uh, how we do worship um, together. So uh, let me stop right there for a moment. Any questions or thoughts uh, before I move on to a section that will probably be as dry as bran flakes for the most of you? Um, it won't all be this, but I did want to address some of the stuff um, that's coming. Zero thoughts. Everything's perfect. All right. So um, if we're if we're looking to edify other believers, um, whether individually or or corporately, um, we'll inevitably be looking to the scriptures for things to do, um, for things that we ought to do, things we ought to say, things we ought to feel, um, to be equipped for that work. And so I want to discuss briefly something I care about quite a bit, which is our liturgy. So what we do on a Sunday morning, just to describe the things that we do. Um, if I were to ask you all, I'll ask you all, all right, what are some things that we do on Sunday mornings together? Worship songs. Okay, yeah, so song, music. Scripture reading. Scripture reading. Just two. Pray. Just pray. What else do we do? Listen. Listen, yes. So hear from God's word. Gather. Yeah, gather together, be together. God put fellowship in there. So anything else we do? Maybe not every week. Baptisms. Lord's Supper. Right. Lord's Supper. You said baptism as well. Yeah. So those are all aspects that have been derived from scripture, some of which I think are just natural the way we've been created as humans, the way we emote, the way we communicate. Um, but regardless, what we decide to include and how we include it will ultimately convey our understanding of who God is um, and what he's done for us. And uh, I think we will be missing too many opportunities to not be heavily informed by scripture and what we do and how we do it. Um, that doesn't mean we have to do all things all the time in every way. 
um, that would be, uh, I would put that back in the, the category of trying to discern what would best edify our church now. And that won't always mean giving everybody what they want, but what I think God's leading me to do for what they need, as well as try to be faithful in a bunch of different areas like um, musical histories, uh, scriptural faithfulness of the texts that we sing. Um, how often do we include um, different ver aspects of prayer in different services? How often do we um, take the Lord's Supper as a church? How often do we celebrate baptism of believers? And then how do we get to the point where we're going to baptize them? Things of that nature. Um, so the, the challenge for us is to truly consider uh, our regular patterns in light of uh, biblical teaching on what is glorifying to God and what will lead to our maturation and the encouragement of the gathered body. Um, so I want to just review a few things that I think are neat um, about us, and I, I pointed them out before long ago, but this might be a refresher for some on Wednesday nights, but as early as the second century, we have uh, churches dividing their worship into like two main sections. Um, one is the liturgy of the word. So that would primarily be preaching and the liturgy of the upper room, or we would call Lord's Supper or communion. And um, what I really like to do is... Uh, Let's think about our sanctuary for a moment. And before I answer this one question, what shape is our sanctuary? Triangle? Any other? I'll give you my answer in a moment. I want to hear some more shapes. It's a rectangle. Rectangle, triangle, trapezoid. I argue it's a circle. And I'll tell you why. What is the focal point? What is the focal point of our sanctuary? That's above the top back there. It's the pulpit and it's the table down there on which we serve communion. If we had everybody in all those places, we have people in two sections that are angled a bit towards the middle the front section directly at the pulpit and the table. We have the, the piano and the organ facing directly at the pulpit. And we have the choir on the back side facing everything else on the back of the pulpit and the table. All of it is circling the, our two physical emblems of where God's word is preached and where we take communion together. That is something that has occurred since the Reformation. Um, uh, really sharply uh, in Luther and Calvin's times because once they uh, were free of the yoke of Rome, I'll call it that, um, they got real experimental to seeing with how far they could push these things, what, um, what was allowable in Scripture, and how can we communicate our theological objectives by the physicality of the way we worship. So to them, Part of their response to God's revelation was, we want to communicate this in nonverbal ways. And so, for example, uh, um, not only are those things centered and we gather around those things as a church, also, the table is not, 
behind a barrier on an altar um, because we're not re-sacrificing Christ um, as a means of grace for you to accrue enough grace to get out of purgatory or go to heaven. But because of the priesthood of all believers, we have free access to Christ himself, to God himself through Christ. And so uh, you, don't have to come between, you don't have to come to us as pastors, um, as priests, to then give you the elements. Now, for us, even, we're begun, we've more, I would say maybe even uh, more interestingly in our pragmatism have made another statement where it's like, it's going to come to you. <laughs> uh, I could definitely swing a uh, Jesus's uh, coming to us, meeting us where we are by the ushers serving the supper to people out in the congregation. That's another level beyond making you come and then uh, have to receive it through me as a mediator. Um, However, um, uh, yeah, and another thing I would like to point out, Jason's pointed out before, too, the reason we have crosses that are empty is because Jesus isn't there anymore. Uh, The large reason that um, uh, Catholics still have Jesus physically on the cross is because they re-sacrifice him every Mass. Um, They do not have a finished work of Christ. We do. He's not on the cross anymore. It is simply just a, a referent, a reminder of us, the instrument in which God used to enact our uh, redemption. Um, And so that is one way that we could respond to God uh, if we are all intentional about it and communicate it clearly. Um, That's just the way that they did. Uh, I'd argue there's a lot of benefit in that being common knowledge in us um, doing that in our own practices. But ultimately, we could do without any of that. Uh, I would just want whatever our patterns are to communicate the gospel clearly um, because uh, that's what God's put us in charge of, business of. um, He's in the business of changing people and changing churches through the gospel message. So we need to to major in that. Um, uh, I went a bit longer on that, but uh, in speaking of the first, uh, what's the word, phrase of you, liturgy of the word, um, I really like, Miss Nancy, that you said listening to God, because I wrote that in my notes um, as preaching. So your notes sheet will say preaching. Um, I really like Peterson's, uh, I can't recommend that book enough. It's just encountering God together. It's really aimed towards folks like me who are doing this on a regular basis, but man, you will really benefit from, from reading this information. But he says listening to God. And his primary emphasis in listening to God is the preaching of the word. So despite the many modes of communication that we have that we can express the gospel with, the primary means that's revealed in Scripture um, through a proclamation of divine revelation today um, and challenging people to respond is through preaching of God's word. So um, having the gospel uh, be... The guide of our biblical hermeneutics, which we'll get into hermeneutics in a later Growth Institute stuff more deeply, um, and as the overarching application of how we view the scriptures, um, if it's interpreted rightly, uh, God, it is God who is speaking when His Word is divided properly, and this is will be the primary source for us uh, re-encountering God's revelation on a weekly basis: the preached Word. 
Um, so the task of Jason, Jacob, Ron, and I, when we are up there, um, is to divide it properly. Um, we have to give appropriate attention to the exposition of the text, and we must consider how our church, you guys, us, how we ought to respond to that word. Um, and Lord willing, it will properly manifest in us. Um, of the things that we mentioned before um, that we do, uh, what side, uh, if uh, it's not clean, so I, I wouldn't commit to this forever, but if you had to put prayer in revelation or response, where would you put it? Yeah. I like her answer. Did she say? Yes. It's more response than revelation, though it can be revelation. Yeah. So I, I would lean heavily that pri- the content of our prayers will be largely responsive to things. Um, but I, what I will say, and I'll speak real carefully here, I don't think new revelation comes through prayer. But I think if we're praying biblically, uh, revelation will inform what we say, how we feel about it, and what we do in light of it. Um, so, for example, um, I think we have time. I'm moving pretty quick, so this is what I hope to do. Um, let's grab a Bible real quick. and I'll, sh- I'll just want to show you, give you one of my favorite practices, and show you how um, God's revelation could inform our prayers. Um, let's let's try. Um, let's do a short one first. Let's say Psalm one thirty three, right? So nice and brief, three verses here, right? Uh, this is what I call praying the scriptures. This is not original to me, but I find great benefit in it. So I'll take first verse. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. So the first thing, um, this is a song of ascent, meaning they're normally used for calls to worship. And the first thing uh, with which they want to worship God is the goodness and pleasingness of unity in the body. I could come to God and say, Lord, uh, your word is true, and it says that it is good and pleasant when we dwell in harmony. May it be true of us. That's a simple version of that. Now, if we continue on and let the, the text continue to guide our thought process, he adds more meat on the metaphor, if you will. That's not a great phrase. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it is like fine oil on the head running down on the beard. I have personal experience with that, having a beard. However... However, for the, for the ladies who may not have a beard, uh, it continues running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. I'd contend probably that he's meaning, uh, in reference to Aaron the Levite, that this is a holy thing. The, the intent becomes clearer in verse 3, where he says, It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. This, the, the idea here is refreshment. It is life-giving, um, this harmony, this goodness, this pleasantness of dwelling together 
as we ought to. And not only is it good and pleasant, it's also a holy thing. It's a spiritual thing. They go on, he goes on to say in the latter half of verse 3, For there the Lord has appointed the blessing, life forevermore. This is already um, looking ahead to the time when God will make all things well again and thinking about how good and pleasant it will be to live in perfect harmony, absent of sin, absent of death, absent of sickness. It will be a time of perfect, holy refreshment and it's something that we can look forward to. So I would come to this and say, Lord, not only is it good and pleasing uh, for us to dwell in harmony, Lord, may it be so, and may it remind us of when you return to make all things well. May it remind us of life everlasting, of right relationship with each other that has come from life with you. Um. And this is a way, the reason I bring all this up and talk about it in the context of revelation and response. One, we're looking at God's revelation. We're attempting to deal with it in our, in our minds. That's a, a level of response. We're attempting to pray as we ought to in light of it. It's still another response, but informed by that revelation. And hopefully it will continue to produce what is meant to produce, which would be um, I would say anticipatory joy at uh, when all things are made new again, all things are made well, and we can experience right relationship, perfect relationship with each other and God. Um, and this is what I think, I think this is a very valuable practice in trying to build affections. So I'm sure Jacob has mentioned before, and we will mention again, the concept of having your affections aroused, uh, godly affections for God, for uh, what he would have for us, his work, um, as well as um, being with him in perfect relationship in the future. Um, and if I were to sidestep one more and say, all right, if I'm going to um, plan a worship service for us in this regard, I would want to choose songs maybe inform some folks to pray about these things in the service as well as preach this text and have in mind the the unity that we have in Christ, the brotherhood we have in our brother, Savior Christ, our, we could even go um, how we're all a part of the family of God because of our adoption through Christ. And we could remind ourselves um, in that moment, we could experience the goodness and pleasantness of being of one mind, of one spirit, worshiping our God together and looking forward to the time where we will do so endlessly. Um, this is, I've only been able to do that so quickly because I've been doing this for years now um, where I'm coming to the scriptures. I want it to tell me um, what it needs me to know. I need to, deal with it in my person um, and try to think through what does this text uh, imply that I should think, I should feel, that I should do, and how can I pray that it would be so. Um, yeah, so uh, we mentioned uh, 
baptism and Lord's Supper. So I'll just take a sidestep to that real quickly. Um, the reason we do those, um, number one, they reveal things about God and they are commanded in his revelation. They reveal, um, number one, that we are identifying personally in baptism um, with the death that we know of in Scripture that Christ uh, took on our behalf that we have died to sin and that we are raised to new life in him. Just as he was resurrected, we will be resurrected then. And if you be very Baptist about it, um, it is the initial sign that allows you to be uh, part of the, the gathered body. That is the entrance act into membership, um, especially in, in old school Baptist thought. It was, you confessed, um, with reasonable fairness, we agreed that we believe that's the case. You follow in baptism, now you're a part of the family. Um, and once you're there, then the second ordinance is available to you. Um, uh, Lord's Supper. Um, this one, to me, I feel like has even more uh, revelation packed in it, if we were going to look at it and respond. And that's for two reasons. One, it's the the blood is the symbol of the new covenant um, that uh, also that, that blood is for the remission of sins, that the bread broken is Christ's body broken for our iniquities, um, that we're taking it, that uh, well, he is the one that provides it to the disciples. He provides it to us. Um, and with it, we are identifying with him as well. And for us uh, now, we're also looking ahead because he said that this signified um, uh, this was looking ahead to the wedding supper of the lamb when all things are made well, when all the good and pleasantness of brothers living together in harmony uh, will be made manifest. Uh, we're looking ahead to that. Um, but I wanted to discuss um, two more aspects of this. These are not all of the liturgical things, but the last two are praise and singing. And so I wanted to discuss these together. Um, praise is a very, very broad term um, in terms of the things that can constitute praise. I think where the, the dividing line will be between what is uh, praise and what is not, there's two. There's probably, if it's done in faith, uh, number one, um, that's a great start. Uh, but number two, if it is actually praise for something that God is, has said, has done, or will do, um, as consistent with what we've already seen in Scripture. Um, but from Genesis to Revelation, we have tons and tons of examples of praise uh, from individuals, groups of people. Um, it's prayed, it's sung, um, it exalts God. Uh, the Psalms are very clear, exalting God for his attributes and his actions in the past, present, and future. Um, it, the scripture informs us that it ought to be sincere and zealous. Um, and one uh, consistent um, aspect of it, especially in the Psalms, is that it highlights God's faithfulness and the keeping of his promises. Um, now, this is seen most chiefly as the biggest promise he's already kept in which all the answers to those prophecies are yes, is Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. Um, so 
But what this does for us, um, both individually and corporately, is it provides us the opportunity to say um, what we believe about God. And in this act, it can also produce realignment with his character and will, in addition to challenging any unbelievers that may witness this. Um, Now, let's see. uh, How did I want to try to use that? Should I have some more coffee, I guess? Um, I suppose, uh, what, are, what are some of the things in which, I've said a few, but uh, that you've personally done or seen people do um, or maybe haven't done and thought that could be done uh, that would constitute praise for God? Uh, just broaden it that way and see what we get. Right, as things done in faith, and it's a response to God in some way. Um, so, would you say everything here listed, preaching, prayer, baptism, Lord's Supper, singing, all fall under that umbrella of praise? I'd say that they can, yeah. Okay. Um, but it's even broader than those things. Yeah, it, it could be broader than those things. Um, and uh, this is the uncomfortable place, I guess. Because we would prefer to be like, well, praise is when we sing all four verses of a hymn. You know what I mean? I see. Um, or it's when we have eight guitars on stage and that's it. Um, however, do I think that those two things could be done and legitimately be uh, acceptable praise to God? They're in line with word? Sure. I mean, I probably wouldn't care to have eight guitars on stage. Uh, personally, um, but I suppose um, the the clarifications that would be needed most would be, um, can they be connected back to um, God's character and will in some way? And I'll give it a, a personal example from my own life then. I've always viewed me studying and practicing guitar as a form of praise back to God for saving me. Um, so when I work through technique issues, when I try to uh, broaden my understanding of uh, musical forms and all of this stuff, I always have viewed them as a worshipful act that uh, this blurs a line between thankfulness as well, um, where I feel that because God has given me some desires to play the guitar, play music, and uh, play music, hopefully, that edifies the church, that in me trying to hone those skills and become as useful as I can in many musical situations, that that is an act of praise from me, a willful um, act of praise, a sacrifice of time and energy to to get good at that um, because of how great I think he is. So like many of you might not have said, uh, guitar practice is praise, but I would say that it is in my life and has been um, for a long time now. Um, and uh, this is the 
the broad part of some of these aspects. Can you uh, worship God rightfully, uh, justifiably, biblically, and some of these other things that you may not have considered before? Um, are there any things like, do you guys have similar testimonies about anything like that? Um, it doesn't have to be long-term. It could be in short-term or anything. Uh, I'll wait a moment. I, I have one. I'm not sure it's exactly as you were mentioning, but um, I really enjoy singing in the choir I have all my life. And while I was in this church, and sometimes the music to me is so moving that I feel goosebumps. And I was singing and felt that one Sunday. And I, I kind of asked God, I said, God, I wish it could be this way every time we sing. And it was almost like God said back to me, I want it to be that way. And it dawned on me, it wasn't that God didn't want it, it was that I wasn't prepared and I wasn't accepting and participating in the singing and the music and the worship aspect of it. And that's changed the way I, I worship in song preparing and really looking at what the words say and trying to take that into my heart. Um, it was very meaningful time for me when I realized that I wasn't preparing as I should and God wanted that for me. That's good. Um, thank you for that, Rick. Uh, I will tell you that the hardest thing that me and Ashlyn have had to do in the past 10 years is go to any church whatsoever and be engaged in worship. We spent four straight years dissecting, forming opinions, um, thinking through many, many things. We go into a church, I'm thinking about uh, what are we doing? Uh, do they have scriptural defense for it? Why are they doing the flow this way? Um, oh no, that note was off. Man, the mix is really bad. Um, absolutely I think the first yeah the first few months that we visited uh, a prominent church in Raleigh I think the only times I really benefited um, personally were during the preaching because I just I couldn't focus on the Lord at all I was just only thinking about all of these particulars all of this stuff um, and what that was is 100% just a heart issue. Those things could be there, they could be flaws, but I didn't come to that part to worship God with them um, in the ways it's being produced, and I didn't. Um, but when I came to the scriptures, I didn't have any songs happening when I'm looking at the scriptures. Uh, I don't have any people speaking in, in my language per se. I'm only looking at what God's revealed. And uh, that's what we ought to be looking for um, in all of those things. Um, let's talk about singing a little bit. Um, I personally uh, love singing, and I have a lot to say about it. Um, I'm really grateful, selfishly, that music is um, so uh, often referenced and commanded in Scripture. Um, and uh, I think I was 
trying to describe this to Jason and Jacob today, but uh, I was trying. To, I was wondering like why why God would choose uh, music and especially singing. Um, he definitely commands instrumental praise as well, but singing. Uh, why is it the gift that it is to the church? Um, and I think it's partly the way that we're created as human beings, but he's designed for some reason to give us this um, physical action through which we can express emotions that we can't normally convey. Um, and he, I think his intention in that is um, just being able to express things back to him that just in our lowly creatureliness, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm reminded often of um, a quote from Yip Har- uh, Harburg, who wrote Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Um, it's a really good adage that gets at the heart of um, something that Christians have understood for a, a thousand years easily, considering how much we put in the arts, um, especially music. Is, uh, he says, words uh, make you think, uh, let you think thoughts. And music helps you feel a feeling, but a song helps you feel a thought. And uh, ever since I've experienced that, I've realized that I've been trying to, I've been pushed towards that by my instructors, um, by a lot of the music I gravitated towards by music that I think is defensible for God, before God lyrically. Um, and in our particular context, there are some songs that I think are as near, um, nearly objectively good as could possibly be. Um, and the ones that are really special to me, uh, and I hope are special to us in the long term, songs I think that will stand the test of time um, they help us remember and respond um, to what God's revealed to us um, and his will for our lives um, in a way uh, it allows us to express emotion to God in, in a way that we normally can't do so. And that process and that con- the consistency of doing that helps us mature, helps us edify one another, build each other up and um, it can uh, do some pretty wonderful things as as an instrument in the hands of God Um, but yeah Yeah. so what you're just describing right there with the um, emotion that we're able to express appropriately through song as worship, that reminds me how you've talked about affections already, and it kind of ties it in with that. Yeah. Like we're um, expressing our emotions, our affections, ultimately. Um, but ultimately, it's coming not just something made up in ourselves, but it's responding to looking to God and his word, his revelation. So it stems from his revelation, which then drives those emotions, affections appropriately. Yeah, I'll point out um, one verse. Uh, if you're still 
at 133, jump over to 135 for a minute. Um, it begins saying, praise the Lord, uh, give praise, all you servants of the Lord, all you stand in his house, um, all in his courts. And then he says in verse 3, uh, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name for it is delightful. And this is probably why I love it so much. Um, we benefit from the act of singing God's praise together. And we will reap delight in it. Um, I think that really um, is a succinct way of describing how all of these things that we glean from what we ought to do, what we ought to think, uh, when, when they're given proper expression uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we reap joy from that. Um, it is a delightful thing. Um, just as it is good and pleasant for us to dwell together in unity, um, when we sing uh, the Lord's praise together, it is a delightful thing. Um, uh, that's what I hoped to get to um, dealing with this stuff. I don't have a, a ton else that I wanted to deal with tonight. There's plenty more things uh, I have no problem gabbing about. Um, but I do want to open it up for any thoughts, any continued questions related to any of the stuff we've dealt with, um, maybe any other discussions that may be helpful um, before the night's done. Yeah. Um, so this semester we're talking about the doctrine of God. So obviously we talked about the whole, yeah. the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, Spirit. We talked about Revelation and everything beforehand. So what, why are we talking about worship here then? It seems like it's not necessarily related specifically to the doctrine of God. Uh, I wouldn't agree. Um, mainly because we don't know uh I would say it's entirely about who God is, uh, who God is what he's like, um, and we see who he is and what he's like through what he's done, and uh, what he is, what he's like, and what he's done, when understood rightly, produces things in us, um, and for those of us who he's gracious to, it's uh, grateful, thankful worship. Yeah, largely so, yes. So uh, it's, it seems broader than just, you know, do this thing and then, like, you've applied the scriptures, but it is not less than that. Um, certainly, certainly. Any other helpful discussions or just questions in general? Tried to avoid my previous errors of getting to 758 and having like an, another page of notes. Uh, um, let's, uh, if you're willing to, let's sing the doxology together. Let's, let's do that. Um, and hopefully, as we praise the Lord here, uh, it will be delightful to us. Um, here, I'll give us a pitch. <laughs>
rather than just start it. Uh, oh no. Strap locks, ladies and gentlemen. You don't want to do that on stage. Oh, so just. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, all the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come together as your people, as we look to what you have said to show us who you are, to change us into who you want us to be, and to show us what you want us to do. Continue to grant us wisdom by your Spirit. Continue to show us more of your greatness. Give us more love for your gospel of grace that came to all of us and made us a family. Lord, continue to bless us that we would dwell in brotherly love and unity, looking ahead to the time when you will make all things well, and continue to herald that kingdom that is to come. Be glorified in us today. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.